Hello, Casey. So today we're talking about post-graduation anxiety, something that I've been hearing about a lot from my fellow peers. Mm -hmm. We've been hearing a lot from people sending in stuff to the podcast, wanting to hear about how to deal with anxiety about graduation coming up in May. What is life like after college? So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. And, you know, it is graduation season. Um, you know, folks are already for, you know, I went to a lavender graduation this week. Folks are getting cords. They're talking about, you know, Latin honors, who's going to volunteer at graduation. Mm -hmm. It's all starting to happen. And, you know, I have some students who are, I mean, they cannot wait to get that diploma. They can't wait to go to graduation. And they're just really ready to be finished with school. And at the same time, they are freaked out. Yes, it's uh, it can be a scary time for some. Mm -hmm. You know, with the economy, folks are concerned about getting jobs. People are concerned about how to pay off their student debt. People are concerned with, hey, I majored this in this in college. Maybe I don't want to do something with this afterwards. What does that look like? Right. I see some of my friends are getting really big jobs, and I'm not. Mm. I, I go on social media and it seems like folks are doing better than me and I don't feel like I know what's next. You're stressing me out right now. <laughs> you know, these and, are concerns people are having. And the, these are concerns that folks have like before they graduate, but then after you graduate, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I call guess it the graduation blues. It is like the graduation blues. I had it after my PhD. Um, I sort of had it after every like big stage of education, actually. I feel like I still have the blues. Yeah, and it's yeah. been a year, coming up on a year. Yeah, I, got, I got the blues. A year later, you know, we're in a pandemic and a lot of uncertainty in these times. So to have this conversation with us today, we have Michael King, who's a camp campus advisor with the Jed Foundation, coming uh to, to talk with us from Manhattan. So, uh, Michael, thank you for being here with us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Uh, this is a, a big topic, and, and I'm always happy to kind of reflect. We were having a conversation just a little bit before and realized that I graduated from college about 10 years ago. Casey, you graduated about 20 years ago. That's right. And Jamil, it's been a year for you. So we have, we have some good perspectives here. Yeah, some generational um, differences. It's <laughs> some more time for y'all than me. <laughs> so hopefully uh, y'all can give some better old. perspective. That's fine. <laughs> so, Michael, the, the Jed Foundation is all about college student mental health. Um, and I guess maybe right. before we get into the specifics of, you know, the post-graduation blues um, and dealing with uncertainty, um, what are you, from your position, like what are you seeing that college students are dealing with these days? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the the most prominent sort of topic we're continuing with, no matter what campus we're talking with, is the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on students' educational experiences and on their mental health journeys. You know, campuses are at best uh, kind of navigating what feels like a new normal, but still, you know, still responding to the news. I mean, just in January, we had Omicron and students were facing um, feelings that were very reminiscent of early 2020. Um, so th there are some interesting things we're hearing. I was speaking with one campus one day. Um, it was a counseling center that was recording the trends they were noticing. They do this each semester. 
and they said a new one that they were really noticing with their students was um, a sense of delayed hope. And so they're like, they wouldn't allow themselves to be happy. Students were saying, I can't enjoy anything anymore because I'm afraid to be disappointed when it gets taken away. Mm. And yeah, that hit me really hard. I'm like, I think I'm experiencing that some. I think I'm experiencing that too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's really big. The world is really uncertain. The news cycle is constant, you know, like if it's not COVID-19, we've also got wars Mm -hmm. actively happening. Politically, our country is in a very polarized place and, and the news is never really positive politically. It feels like if something happens, there's a a whole section of the country that's furious and a, a section that's happy. And so that, that's weighs in too. I think there's, there's kind of a lot of ambiguity and a lot of difficulty in navigating the world and finding peace right now. That mm-hmm. seems to be the big trend that I'm noticing. Yeah. And I think, you know, I really remember graduating from college and I didn't know what to do. Um, you know, I had an English degree. I was already working at a, a bar restaurant and at a winery. So I was like drinking too much. I was just working these restaurant jobs that I had been working I was applying like here and there to a, a quote unquote, like a, what'd you, like a professional job or one that required my degree. I'm not getting interviews. I'm not hearing back. So I'm doing that for six to nine months. And then eventually, you know, I have a cousin who lives in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And she was like, do you want to come live with us? And I was like, well, sure. And then, you know, I just moved out there and I think in those two years, I think I had 13 W-2s from those two states. I mean, I just worked a lot of jobs and just did a lot of random stuff. And um, it took a long time to get settled. And then I eventually did get a proper quote unquote job. But then I got bored and it wasn't inspiring to me on my path. So, you know, five years after school, then I just decided to go to grad school for a little bit for um, fun or for to, because I wasn't challenged in my job. And, you know, that like grad school was amazing. I went, I got a master's degree. I met my partner. Wonderful. I love New Mexico, Um, lived there for a long time. And then, so anyway, I just sort of took, we've talked about this in, in other conversations this season, like a meandering path um, through life, which I, from this vantage point, I look back and I'm like, I'm so glad that I had all those experiences. Um, Mm -hmm. If I had, the expectation that I would leave school and then immediately get a good paying job, I would be very disappointed. Um, so mm. I don't, I don't know. I, at this point I appreciate those struggles at the time. Of course I didn't appreciate struggling. Um, right. but from this vantage point, I'm like, I can see why I can see that I learned so much from each of those, those hardships. But of course when the world is also really different and the, the news pace like, it's not like there wasn't horrible stuff going on in the world in 2003 and 2004. There was, but it wasn't relentless and we didn't have social media. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think lessons always look a lot cuter in retrospect, they right? Like, oh, yeah, I came through strong. I feel good about what I went through now. But when you're going through it, it's it's not fun to learn lessons that way. And I, so I think you can't always speak very universally about the higher ed experience. You know, we have, of non-traditional students who took some time off and go back and their journey can be a little bit different from like the general group of students who graduate from undergraduate. Um, but for a lot of folks, they go straight from a K through 12 experience right. 
right into undergrad and the transition from college or from high school to college, we know that that has some amount of like mental health strain and that there's some anxiety and students really need to navigate that. And like anyone who's been through college probably can identify and chart for themselves what that was like their first year and maybe second year. Um, but I think a thing about graduation that it's really hard is for the first time, it's truly choose your own adventure, right? Like you, you finish college, you know, the structure of your college, whether it was semesters or, or whatever, you got it, you figured it out. You're on top of the world when you're in your fourth or, or final year. Um, and then there's this feeling of what do I do next? Mm -hmm. And I remember I was, I was in a friend group that was pretty tight of five people and we all had a pretty solid answer. Um, and we all felt very good about our answer. I went to grad school for, for higher ed. I was an RA who wanted to work in res life. I felt so certain that was my journey. Um, another one, one of my peers was going to grad school. And then the other three um, were sort of all going right into the trades that were related to their major and were able to get jobs. And I look back on that time for all five of us and things went really differently for all of us. You know, mm -hmm. I got into grad school and was living on a stipend and still doing homework. Right. And I was like, yeah. why did I do this? You know, <laughs> my, my friends are buying homes um, right. and seem to be living it up. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So for me, that I had to contend with that a little bit. And um, yep. over time, some of my friends learned that they didn't like what they had chosen to do with their lives. Right. Um, but anyway, when I worked with students, I got to witness a lot of those journeys, that fourth year going into the world. And I started to tell the students I worked with, I know you feel a lot of pressure to give me an answer about what you're doing next. And I know everyone in your life is asking you, mm -hmm. but you'll be fine. Like, you will figure it out. And the people who seem most confident or just announced that perfect starter job, some of them, you're going to learn didn't like that story for themselves when they got in it and they're going to find something new. And I think the transition to that comes with so much anxiety. It comes with so much like pressure. I think there's a grief we go through when we realize a dream we thought was going to be ours isn't ours. Uh, yeah. And all of that can be a lot to navigate. It's a lot to manage. Yes. Um, I agree with all these things. I think for me, it was unique leaving college one, because I'm first generation, so like my entire family has no idea what to um, expect. And for any first generation people listening, I know you can feel me on this when it's like, oh, you got this new degree. You're going to be making six figures in no time. <laughs> like you're going to be rich. Like yeah. you're going to be stable, stable. Sure. That's kind of the idea of first, you know, family with first mm -hmm. gen students that you're you went off to this lovely school. You're going to come home, get this big boy job and you're going to make all this money and be able to support all these different kinds of people. So I think I felt a lot of that kind of pressure, even if it wasn't openly said, just kind of like feeling it internally. Mm -hmm. Also, um, like you, um, a lot of my friends, you know, I was an RA, a lot of my friends are in higher ed, was going to grad school for higher ed. So I kind of felt a little pressure to go to grad school for higher ed, even though I enjoyed and I loved my experience as an RA and I have worked throughout campus in so many different areas and enjoyed higher ed, wasn't exactly sure if that was something I wanted a master's degree in. Mm -hmm. And I, so many of my friends were going to grad school and mm, somewhat enjoying it, I would say. I think grad school 
and living on campus is an interesting experience within itself. Mm. Um, so I would say somewhat enjoying it. I felt a little pressure to join them, but I delayed. I said, no, mm-hmm. I'm not going to join this experience just because my peers are doing it. Um, and so the, uh, I had a lot of questions of what next. Okay, you had a really accomplishing undergrad time, but now what's next? Right? Like people always say, you're always good as your next play. So what are you going to do next? What's your next job going to be? Um, and wasn't exactly sure. Because I just, and, uh, it almost feels like you have to make this really big decision immediately. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, where are you going to live? Where are you going to work? What are you going to do? Like all these ex- all these decisions are like at your doorstep immediately. Right. Right. Um, I also felt very sad after mm. college. Sure. Like I was a part of this huge community of people and now I no longer go there. Right. You know, like I live on campus, I put on programs, I put on events, I'm really close to my faculty and the staff here, and I talk with people every day, and all of a sudden, I'm gone. Mm -hmm. So, like, I felt like I was almost grieving a loss of community. Absolutely. And felt a little isolated. Yeah. Especially when your friends start moving across country. Yes. You know, oh, I got a fancy job here. I'm going to grad school here, which is great, but it's across the country. Mm-hmm. And I have been living with you all for four or five years. So that right. was a little sad, too. So I think it was a lot of emotion at once. And you're also feeling immensely proud. Mm-hmm. You're feeling really happy. You're feeling really grateful. Um, so it was a lot of emotions to work through. And what I have ultimately came with is one, Miss Dawn used to say this all the time and it used to annoy me, but I get it. You got to flow like water. Mm. So like just moving day by day. Um, I don't try to put a lot of pressure on myself to like, to, what is your five year plan? Right. <laughs> like, no, no. Um, I always think like you have an idea where you're going in life. I've always had an idea where I was going in life. I used to have, have these huge vision boards with the very <laughs> hyper specific goals. Like I'm going to join the Bookmarks Club. I never joined the Bookmarks Club, by the way. But that was on my vision board at one point. Sure. I thought I was going in that direction. I thought I was going to be an English major at mm. one point. I did not become an English major, as we know. So I think less about concrete goals like that mm-hmm. and think more about how do I want to feel in a year? Um, and will I be happy with the work that I accomplished? Will I feel challenged? Um, so I'm leaning more in that direction and trying to pave my own path for myself mm-hmm. and not really be too concerned with what my peers are doing. Because like you said, some of my peers are getting married. They right. buying houses. I am not getting married. Yeah. I am not buying a house right now. Yeah. Um, so everybody's path is looking different. And I think that's okay to um, experience that right now. Yeah. I mean, when I say, you know, you just there's so much stuff that, that you both have already um thrown out there that I think is so important but I mean I'm you're making me think about how I mean I was like in my mid 30s and making $20,000 a year as a stipend um while my friends are you know if we think about life in like this linear way where it's like oh you buy houses oh you have kids oh you make more money every year your cars get nicer it's like no I'm still driving the same car that I had when I was 18 um <laughs> until it dies and I don't have any money but it's an investment and not one that you'd necessarily want to make, like you said, until you're really sure that you want to be there and do meaningful work. But there's a lot of pressure to do it right out of the gate. There is. But also, this experience is almost very similar to the college experience, if you think about it. You know, when you're at college, some people are making really good grades. They're putting themselves out there. They're getting internships. And students compare themselves to their peers then. And after graduation, it doesn't stop. You continue to compare yourself to your peers and their experiences but ultimately we're on our own paths Mm -hmm. that look 
different. You may return to the university experience. You may go back and get a grad degree. Um, you may not. You may jump into an industry. You may change industries. You may mm -hmm. start a family. Like There's so many different options for life itself that don't need to be made the day after you graduate. Yeah, yeah, I think that I've said to so many students in my time working with them that <clears throat> you don't need to compare your story to someone else's. That this, this is really unlikely to yield positive results for you and your connection with that person anyway. And um, and you don't always get a very honest story from other people anyway, oh, that's right? And, like social media doesn't paint the picture. And like, you can think, wow, I made these decisions and I, don't, I haven't found my forever partner and uh, my good friend is partnered and has kids in the house and they seem so happy. And there's just this sort of like, it's a little bit of a competition feeling or like an inventorying someone else's life and comparing it to your own and feeling a lack and it's super hard. And it's easy for us all to fall into that. Um, but I, I think that there's a lot of power to acknowledging that like you get to live the story that you want to live. And, um, that's an exciting part about graduating. Like no one's telling you to write a paper right now. You don't have to register for a job by tomorrow. You have to find a job. And that's a different kind of strain, but everything is up to you. You know, you can, you can move, you can live in the, in the same town that you're in. Um, and choices make us happy and feel free. And they also can come with a lot of anxiety. And if you're used to sort of locking into, okay, you know, like choosing a college is a stressful decision for a lot of folks, then they get there. And, and I think a lot about choosing a major. First year students are obsessed with majors. That's all they talk about <laughs> when you meet someone with a major. Yeah. By my fourth year in school, no one cared what I majored in. Right. And no one was asking me that anymore. But what they were asking me was, what are you doing after college? Like, What's your plan, right? And it's like, you wanna be able to give people an answer that makes them smile, hmm. right? And that's that's family back home, that's your peers. Um, and it, it's kind of scary to say, I don't know, right? And, and, and almost no one is being very honest if they don't know. Right. Everyone's like, well, I've got two or three things lined up. I might do grad school. Like everyone's giving such an answer right. that if you don't have an answer, it can come with this, Ooh, like this anxiety that hits you, like time is running out. And if I don't do something, it feels kind of cataclysmic. Right. Mm. And it, it yeah. is true that for folks who went straight from K-12 into college, like people have been telling you what to do in a pretty, you've had a rigorous structure your whole life up until that point. And so when you graduate, you know, then there's the summer, which you're used to having a summer. And then it's the fall and everyone else starts school or you sort of, I, f I feel like it's like almost a biological pattern. It's like, Oh, it's school season. Um, you just experienced this, your yes. first fall without school. And then that just that freedom and like that choice, like that, you know, cognitively, emotionally is such a different way of being in the world um, that, I, you know, some people thrive with that kind of independence. Um, and I applaud those types of folks a lot of people really struggle without having that structure um mm -hmm. in place yeah um i felt very free not having to attend classes it was a very freeing freeing refreshing kind of mood i'm gonna read what i want 
yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I want to do, which was nice. I also felt very unproductive. Mm. Like when I was in college, I was taking classes, I was working, I was entering. I feel like I was working all throughout the night, like overworked. And so going from like working a bunch of jobs and attending classes to working one job and not attending classes, I almost felt like I wasn't producing enough. Mm. Like I still feel like that. Like I'm not doing enough. Like, oh, I should be more busy. Um, so trying to tell myself to relax has been a process. You're very active in your relaxation. Yes, very active, very active. <laughs> ah, so I'm curious. Okay, so we have 10 years out. We have 20 years out. How much time did it take after graduation until it felt, mm, I got the hang of this? I think for me, yeah, you go first. Because I went right into grad school, I sort of delayed that feeling. Like I said, I got into grad school and I looked at my friends who seemed to be in jobs. And, you know, some, some nights when I would be going to a three hour class about research methods and I would glance and see, oh, my friends are like, downtown at a bar with a bunch of other young people, I felt a certain amount of jealousy or, or self-doubt about what I'd chosen. But, you know, it's still a structure that you're that you're talking about. I had a fall semester, I had a break, I had a spring semester, and I was sort of being uh, introduced to a lot of a community of other people doing it. But for me, when, when I left that, and I got a job right out um, in res life, so I was still working in a familiar environment. Um, but yeah, yeah, I just think that that's when it hit me a little bit like, oh, you know, I have to choose my vacation days. I have yeah. to choose <laughs> an insurance plan. Right. Like I can take trips. Um, that was wild. But I think college, mm -hmm. to speak really quickly to something you said, Jamil, college perpetuates busy culture mm -hmm. more, yeah. more than other aspects of American society, which still perpetuate busy culture. We love telling each other how busy we are. Right. And we sort of glamorize the lack of rest we get. And I think that that feeling when you get a break, we don't know how to be on break. Like compared to people from other countries that take like two months off a year to take vacation, mm -hmm. we're like not good at resting. It causes us stress. And so I think there's a lot of that. And I think later in my career, there was a point where due to the pandemic, I lost my job and I needed a month or two to figure out what, where, where I was going to work. Mm. And those Monday mornings, I would wake up at seven, go for a run like I do every morning, shower, get a coffee, and then just be up because I was so in my routine and I think there's some of that. I think that's when I started to be like, okay, <laughs> I've been conditioned a little bit to, to need this. Um, and so that's the journey I've been on since, since 2020 is like, how do I uh, break from this and feel empowered by the choices I get to make, but understand that these structures aren't necessary for me to be worthwhile, if that makes sense. I feel you on that. Like after Res Life, I was waking up I was waking up like, oh my God, my the, the duty phone's ringing. I didn't have a duty phone anymore. <laughs> like just the flashbacks of it all, trying to break away from the routine of it all. Like, oh, I have duty right now. I don't have duty right now. 
<laughs> or like you're not on the night shift every night. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was a weird transition. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think, you know, it's such a good point about the busyness of American culture, especially compared, like you're saying, Michael, to other places around the world. Like we fetishize it and and there's almost like shame involved if like if you're not busy enough um, and there's like a sort of like I'm busier than you or like how busy are you? Let's talk about how busy we are together. Um, and it's super not healthy. And I also think that our media like that's always on um, there, it just it sort of intensifies that thing that's already a part of American culture anyway. I want a Busy Bee Award from Southern. Oh, my gosh. I have a Busy Bee Award, <laughs> believe it or not. So, yeah, I, so, I'm feeling yeah, this. We're even making <laughs> awards about it. Yeah, I feel this on a spiritual level. Right. And really, yeah. you know, I, I think that's a crucial part to allow yourself, like, you know, as a college student, like, you're constantly learning. Like, we're constantly intaking in, in information anyway. When you're in school, you're you're thinking about, you're processing you know, not just in class, but just as a, as a human being. And we really need time to digest all of that. You know, like you're saying, uh, Michael, taking a month or two as you're transitioning between things, like really sort of settling. Yeah, I would agree with that. Figuring out like, who am I as a person? Like, what do I really care about? Um, sort of a, not a detox, but like a, a break so that you can process everything that's happened. Um, and that you can have a job while you're also doing that processing, but you don't have to be on. 18 hours a day mm-hmm. yeah i had to learn that i think you know especially first generation students they want to make the most of this experience so they're going to be hyper busy right mm-hmm. like i want to get a job here i want to major in something really cool i want to intern then i want to put on programs and join clubs and orgs that was me i want to do all these things at all the time and i felt extremely proud of how busy and overworked i am like oh wow yeah you did i, I did because you know if i'm overworked and i have tons of opportunities then i must be accomplished Mm. then I must be really accomplishing because I'm able to do all these things. I'm not sleeping because I don't have time to sleep (laughs) until after graduation comes. And it's like, "Mm, that's not realistic um, in the working world to be that overworked for the next 40 years. Uh, Because I was thinking about like, oh, I just do this for this time while I'm in college. And then afterwards I can, I don't know, enjoy the fruits of my labor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it just didn't work out that way. So, yeah. Well, you know, so you asked us how how long it it took to sort of feel like we made it. And I really like this idea of thinking about, you know, our own story and our own journey. Um, I think that, you know, in times when I've really struggled thinking about the fact that like, oh, I'm in the middle of my story right now. Like it's not the end. And there's always Mm -hmm. a struggle in the middle of a story. It's like part of the story arc. You know, we struggle. We figure it out. You know, that always happens with characters in a story. And. I think for me, there was a point when I got a job at a business newspaper. I didn't really know anything about business. Um, I didn't make very much money at all, but it was a job. It sat, it was satisfying in, in one way that it was a job that I could tell my parents about that they felt proud of. They were like, not that proud that I'm like, you know, working at this bakery and that I'm making pizzas and that I'm a pizza delivery person, you know. They're not like when they're meeting up with their friends, they're not like, oh, my kid just graduated from school and is delivering pizza in Albuquerque. You know, they, it's not something they say, but they like, ooh, you know, Casey works at this business newspaper. Uh, and I was it was good for a little bit, but it was not my not my path. Um, the particular job I had there um, specifically. 
that wasn't for me. It was not my story. And I, I really couldn't stand it. But I will say that that piece where I felt like I was doing what I was supposed to do, that felt good for a minute because I'm like, oh, I can tell people that I do this thing. But ultimately, that does not, um, that's not a path to happiness or well-being at all, mm -hmm. to do things that are good for other people, but actually, you know, slowly kill your soul. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it sounds like that story that you stepped into was palatable for other people. And that feels good to us sure. to some extent. Like, oh, I have something I can point to. Like, and, and they have something they can quickly say. It's categorized and understandable, but it's incongruent with the, your sort of authentic wants and needs and drive. And then that slowly chips at you, right? And it's like, oh, this isn't my story. This is a story we're telling, but it's not the story I want to tell. And that that's a hard feeling. It, that feels different. But I think out of anxiety, we often jump into a story that quells other people's anxieties on our behalf. And then we're like, then that's, that hits like depression a little bit. Like, oh, yeah, absolutely. This. Yeah. So how did you figure out that you wanted to, to work with, um, with Jed doing work around mental health on campuses? Yeah. So I, um, I worked in res life for, um, ooh, not including grad school for like six years. Hmm. Um, so time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was living uh, on campus in Indiana. It was a very busy culture job, that one in particular. Like, we kind of laughed. There was a point where, due to some legislation under the Obama administration, if you were paid less than, I think, like $47,000 a year, uh, federal law said you needed to clock your hours. And if you went over 40, you needed to be paid overtime. And for people, for all people in higher ed and in student affairs, that became like a an interesting thing because almost everyone's paid less than that at their entry level job. And so, and then we, so we started clocking and we were working on an average, like 55 hours a week and at busier weeks, like when with the RA training, I'm mm -hmm. sure Jamil will know. Oh, like yeah. that, oh, that's, that's like 80 hours a week. Like we're yes. working wild amounts. Right. And um, so I, but I was a firm believer in it. I loved the work. I loved working with students. There were days it was hard, but there was something in it that gave me energy. Um, but then uh, I moved to New York for another res life job where I was living on, and it had a little bit of a different pace. It was a little more like, no, 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 you shouldn't work more than 40 hours a week. If you have a night meeting, take one hour off of the office, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, we love that. That was nice. It was, so props to that culture. That was good. Um but then the pandemic kind of kept us employed and we were sort of spinning our wheels trying to prove we were productive mm. at a time where most of our students weren't on campus because we sent them home. And then I lost my job. And so then I was I was in a tough spot. Um, that, that hit me like a lot of depression, especially because it was sort of like an example of like, you can show up, do your best work, and then something can happen and you can still not have the the love and support of your capitalistic job. Uh, and so <laughs> like, oh, it turns out it's capitalism, not my friends. Um, so uh, so I spent some time in that. That was a, probably my biggest feeling like, of unproductivity ever because I, you know, I got my apartment. I was lucky to find one and in the pandemic rent was lower. But I remember getting into this space and kind of looking around like, well, my friends are all at work right now and I'm searching, I'm sending out resumes, but it, it wasn't anybody's like peak hiring period. 
Um, and I thought this is an, a time I should really be inventorying what I want to do. Hmm. And, you know, I just gave so many months of my spirit and energy and time and my security in a pandemic to a job that quickly turned its back when the budget mm-hmm. was low, right? So, so then I thought a lot about that. And I'm like, wherever I work next, I want to really believe in what I'm doing. And I want to believe that they, that they honor my humanity at all times. And so those were some things I, that I prioritized high. Um, I was lucky to find a temporary position working in kind of pandemic support. Um, and I was still kind of spinning my wheels, like looking and I share this with folks a lot because it was really a pivotal moment in my life, but I was really struggling in that ambiguous period to kind of figure out how I was going to navigate this time. There were options. I could move home with my parents in Indiana and just wait for the pandemic to be over and jobs to be abundant again. And, you know, I was like, oh, I don't know. I was feeling very conflicted. And then I had this moment where I asked myself in two years, what story will I want to tell about what I did right now? And I knew what that story was. I would want to say, I bet on myself. I found an apartment. I did what I had to do. I found a job, you know, and then I also would want to say that I found a job that was meaningful and that in some ways it made what happened before um, worthwhile, Hmm. would make that a job loss would be almost like a, a lucky break in a strange way because it opened me up to find something better. Uh, Jed posted the campus advisor position and I had heard about the Jed Foundation, but I looked more into it, of course, when I'm seeing this posting. And I was really sort of interested. It's a lot of facilitation. I love facilitating conversations in person and virtually. Um, it derived a lot of, it would draw a lot from my skill set that I'd sort of nurtured working in res life. Um, and then it was focused on mental health. And anybody who's worked in res life knows that you don't just work with, you work with mental health crisis, you know, students mm-hmm. who are in the middle of the night, not sure they're safe. You work with a lot, I would say more students who are high functioning, but carrying mental health journeys that that they need to unpack. And I think that's the magic of working with, in res life for me was having my student that seemed okay and then being in a one-on-one setting with them and being like, what's the hardest thing you're carrying right now? Oh Lord. Ooh. (laughs) 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 But there's like magic that happens when we give each other the space to be really sincere. Mm -hmm. And so because of that and because of those experiences, I'm like, no, even the best seeming students are like so struggling right now. Anyway. So you know, I applied for the position and in my first interview, one of the things I asked was, um, you know, every campus I've ever worked on has a counseling center that is overwhelmed. They're nice people who work there, but they say we're overwhelmed, you know, and we're doing our best. And then students kind of whisper, it's impossible to get a session at the counseling center. Don't even try. Right. I said, so what does Jed do about that? And the person interviewing, interviewing me, they said, um, yeah, that's exactly what our focus is, is how do we make mental health a campus-wide responsibility? So it's not the, just the knee-jerk counseling center, it's mental health counseling center. Mm-hmm. We need to train faculty to be able to say, oh, you're crying. Well, what's going on? Let me be with you um, and then hear that story and not necessarily always take them right to the counseling center. So that's sort of how 
that that question was for me like the oh you do something you this organization is working to solve a problem in tangible concrete ways that I've seen persist and perpetuate from my time as a student until now um, and I was I was lucky to keep moving in the process and uh, I've been with Jed for about a year it's my favorite part of my job is when we go to different campuses I'm meeting with the people who are doing mental health work and a lot of times when we really start talking about things and we really start planning movement, I can see hope in their eyes and possibility. And that feels really good. So that's sort of like hmm. how I landed where I am. Hmm. And, uh, and they, Jed is very like, honor your humanity. If I, if I do a campus visit, I just went to California last week and I came back and I hadn't taken the day off from, I arrived at like 1 a.m. in New York and my supervisor was like, what are you doing answering emails at like 9 a.m.? Like you were just in California, take rest and and we'll get back to you. And that, that that's really a wonderful work culture as well. I love that. That is super Bye. sweet. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, it's, um, I do think that we learn a lot. I mean, of course we do as human beings from hearing other people's stories. Um, and I just think, you know, well, if that job that you had been at before had, you know, if you'd been able to stay on, if you hadn't been laid off in the pandemic, you'd still be there, you know, like you wouldn't have been looking for other opportunities. You wouldn't have had, you wouldn't have really been forced to sort of sit with like, you know, what sort of life do I want? What kind of contribution do I want to make? How could that look that's different mm -hmm. from the path I'm on? Cause I think, you know, res life and in, in, in particular can lead people down particular, like there's a track yeah, that you yeah. get on. And there can also be grief when it comes to like, oh, I thought I, I could see this path just like many mm -hmm. others, you know, um, where there's an end point. Like I will be a doctor. I will be a, an, a dean. I'll be a, you know, what's the path in res life? Well, you know, you go from student to RA yeah. to a hall director or whatever that position is called at your campus. And then maybe you work for their central office as yep. a director or assistant director, or maybe you will jump from being a hall director to admissions. I see that a lot. Hall director to admissions pipeline. Um, or student affairs. Or student affairs. Dean of students. Yeah, you want to, you jump to assistant director somewhere on the student affairs mm -hmm. realm um, after a couple of years as a hall director. Mm -hmm. Or you jump to a different university and do their res life over there. But I always do say, if you can work in res life for a couple years, oh, you can work anywhere. You can survive anything. People that work in res life. But it doesn't mean that you should survive anything. It doesn't mean you should, but yeah. the endurance it takes mm -hmm. to work in res life, like doing an incident at 3 a.m. and getting a call and being like, hey, we have another one down the hall. <laughs> to be able to do that for years, because mm -hmm. the stuff you see is, they make wonderful stories um mm -hmm. you could do that you could do anything it's good training for all for anything kinds of things in life any kind right? of work you could work anywhere yeah yeah i think that's what drew me to it is it's so rounded of an experience like those crisis calls at night weren't always my favorite but i generally left them not just with a better idea of how to be under pressure but also with a lot of empathy mm. and it's interesting i've, <laughs> I've had moments this is kind of a wild story, but in the early, the summer 2020, so still really early pandemic, no vaccine. My friends and I, I, I had identified a group of, a small group of friends that we would hang out. We would meet and meet in Central Park here in the city. And one of our friends had a birthday party 
And so we gathered and there were eight of us, which was that felt huge uh, on a blanket. And eventually my friend whose birthday it was, was like, come back to my rooftop. The group reduced to six and we went to the rooftop and, and we were being pretty chill. It was just like listening to music. I think we had seltzers and we were like just talking. It felt really nice. Um, and to go to the bathroom, we needed to go back to the stairwell and go down two flights to the apartment. And that's relevant because of what happens next. So we're sitting there and this guy gets up to go to the apartment and we hear this like kind of weird thud and someone laughs like, was that him? And I'm like, no way. But then the, we paused like, well, maybe we should check. And so we went over there because it was a rooftop and it was kind of a short ledge. And I glanced over with my friend and we looked down and he had fallen four flights. Oh my God. Um, he didn't know he had, we learned later he he had stepped over believing he was from Australia. Sometimes their rooftops touch. Oh. So he believed there would be more rooftop and then he fell um, and he landed on his back. Uh, he's okay. That's an important part of this story. Yeah. Um, but in the moment, my, it's my friend who was with me, he had been an RA. I had worked in Res Life. I know exactly where this is going. <laughs> I was like, okay, we need to call the police. Yeah. Here's the address. I'm like, do you call? So he's calling and I'm like communicating down to the man he's speaking. So he's, my back's really hurt. I'm like, okay. And so then we turned to the group who's like, kind of unaware of what's happening. And I went into director mode. I was like, you need to go downstairs, grab the seltzers. There's no need. We're not coming back, get things put away. Someone's going to need to talk to the police. I'll do that because I've talked to university police before. Um, they're going to want to know several things about the state of the person. They're going to want to know was his mental health a concern? Were, were drugs used? You know, those sorts of things. And it's, it's just funny. Like later, my friends were like, who were you? Yes. Like, oh, I, I just work in res life. Like, I'm so sorry. Uh, um, but it is, it's, it's, you learn to, when you talk to a parent who's furious with you, cause you won't move their child's roommate out or like move in day is this giant system where you run for like 12 hours and you smile. Like all of it has like informed how I approach so many aspects of my life. Like my friends always say that if they need to move apartments in New York city, they want to invite me because I have such a good attitude. And I'm like that's funny. I don't know I don't know that I necessarily have a good attitude for moving, but I have done a move in day. So I go to like the zone. I'm like all right, for the next 10 hours we're focused on this, you know. So I don't know. It, I will to that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's the thing because most of my friends too I have made from my time in res life. So like planning any event is spectacular, right? We all have program planning experience. So the, the events, we're Venmoing each other money. We're buying catering. You know, just for us, we're going to buy us catering. We have activities. Someone's in charge of activities. When right. something happens, I don't even care if the person, like, you could all have gone and had a crazy night out. If something happens, you are in the safest hands. Because <laughs> anybody can respond to crazies. Like, you were talking about, okay, let's talk to uh, the police. and Let's get the waters. and let's, mm -hmm. let's see if that person's breathing. Yes, yes. Res life yeah. does change how you um, address situations throughout your life. I remember being in a grocery store once, and <laughs> um, someone was having, like, an argument, and I almost snapped into RA mode, and I remembered, I said, hey, we're not on campus. Like, please do not. This is not my business. This is not my territory. This is not my territory. But, yeah, it does change how you address things. But I 
I do think also like uh, hearing this from both of you all. Um, I mean, I feel I have not been an RA if that's not already clear. Um, but I will say that there are other experiences I've had, like being a caterer for many years. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very, you know, I very easily help people like host dinners, do that myself. Like I love that training. Um, but I think, you know, in terms of what y'all are sharing, uh, the ways that we're thinking about, um, you know, community response as opposed to always police contact, you know, like ways of, of um, generating safety that come from community members. That makes me think that, you know, for folks who are RAs or have that experience, um, who are interested in um, doing that kind of work, that's great uh, experience and training for that kind of contribution. Yeah, yeah. but I, I'm thinking about like after graduation, right? Like identity could be a huge problem too. Oh, sure. So like my grandmother calls me um, her college boy, which is very cute because mm. I'm her only grandchild to go to college. Um, and so being a college student was like really critical to my identity, like working in res life and entering and all these things that abruptly ended was like kind of how I seen myself for a couple years. And so like not seeing myself as that kind of person anymore was pretty hard. Um, and I do think like in my job now, I'm honored and it's a, it's a great job and it, it works for the time being, but like it's not to the extent of what I was doing previous. So mm -hmm. I started having to reflect on like, who am I without this experience? Like now that I'm no longer a college student, who do I want to be? What do I want to be? Um, what do I love? What do I like doing outside of work? So I started prioritizing my life outside of work. So like, yeah, you can have a job that you like to a degree and it could be a good job for the time being and it may serve your needs, but who are you outside of work? Like, what are your hobbies? Do you have hobbies? What are mm. they? Do you do things that you enjoy that are not for money, right? Like how much, I started thinking about how much time I was spending with my family and mm -hmm. how much time do I want to spend with my family? Um, I started thinking about what did I do before college? I did a lot of volunteer service mainly. And I think I kind of missed that. So like maybe I want to start volunteering again. Mm. Um, I really like traveling. So like thinking about places I want to travel. Um, and so I think life after college has been a lot of me reflecting about who am I outside of work? Who is Jamil outside of college? What do I love? And rediscovering things that I have loved. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that you're exactly right that like graduating from college comes with a loss of identity just because so much of like I feel like everyone has a thing in college. Yeah. Like even if it's just your major, that's your major and those are the people you see. There's a hallway you probably hang out in between classes. Yep. Like your routines and and everyone in your life for a number of years has known you're at that school. You know, like it's, it, there is that loss and there's work to be done there when you get out, like, okay, who am I in a, um, in a constant way? Like no matter where I am, like what parts of myself are absolute and we haven't always done that work before I hadn't, mm -hmm. you know, I knew some things I knew I liked to run. I liked to write. I knew I had five brothers and sisters, but it was just, it took a long time for me to start being like. Here's where I, I will always need to live somewhere with a, like a good gay population. Like that's going to be absolutely necessary for me. And I chose some places that didn't for a while and, and wondered why my life felt a little bit lacking. And it's, I didn't have the community I needed to feel fully free to be myself, you know? And um, 
then it, it takes work. You also have to, to believe in yourself to go for jobs that you really want. I think there's also frequently an anxiety to, to go after our dreams because what if someone tells us no? So we go after something practical or something like lower uh, in our own priority list, not lower in life. Um, and I don't know, I, we kind of count ourselves out. Anyway, those are things that come to my mind and it comes back to this idea of like, this is my story. I'm the main character of my story. Yes, romanticizing <laughs> yeah. your life. Yeah, I get to make some choices. And what story do I want to tell when, when I look back? And am I doing what I need to right now to tell it? And that's really a liberating idea. It can be a little scary, that much power. But I think it's a healthy place to start. And you know what helps? Being a little bit delusional. Because I think you're right. A lot of times we try to aim in the safety net of like, okay, this job is a little bit more practical. This is a little safer of an option. Um, just throughout goals in our lives, I like to be a little delusional. And I have been this way since I was a child. When I was a little boy, you cannot convince me that I could not go to the moon if I wanted to go to the moon. I say you all the time. You just don't want to. I just don't want to. I say that to people all the time as a little kid. Like, yeah, I can go to the moon if I want to. I just don't want to this week. I'm a little busy. Yeah. <laughs> like, but you couldn't convince me other right. <laughs> but you couldn't convince me otherwise. And I think I kind of held on to that mentality of like just shooting high for goals. Like, if I want to try something, I'm going to try it. The worst they could say is no. Mm -hmm. But you'd be surprised at the yeses. Like, before I got to college, I had a low GPA in high school. I had a really rocky high school experience. And I wasn't even sure I if I was going to get into college, never mind a good college or a college I liked. Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure if I was going to any college, uh, maybe community college, maybe I wasn't sure. Mm -hmm. And also how to pay for it. I applied to scholarships. I applied to a bunch of different schools. I got accepted to a bunch of schools in a school I really liked. Mm -hmm. And I got enough scholarships to put me through my whole four years. And so if I never applied to scholarships thinking, oh, my GPA is not good enough, maybe I should do community college, I would have been on a whole separate life track. You know, mm. I've been out the country numerous times without my family just because I was like, wow, this would be a cool experience. Let's see how this goes. Mm -hmm. uh, and those were some of the most life-changing experiences of my life. And so I try to be a little delusional at times. Um, and it works. Absolutely. I think, you know, as a as a professor, one thing I, I mean, we uh, we serve like a lot of uh, like many of our students are working class. And I think what causes a lot of them like um, you know, anxiety right now or, or sort of like a, it is the delayed hope in the, in the sense of despair is like, all right, so I work at Dunkin Donuts right now or I work at Amazon right now and I can't see anything past graduation that's not going to be the same thing. You know, like I can't imagine um, I'm not seeing jobs out there that I that I can get or I, I don't know what's next. And I just fear that I'm going to graduate and still be working in the Amazon warehouse. Um, and of course, that does not. I mean, that's a that's not a future that like lights somebody up. Um, and so yeah. I'm just wondering about um, I do like to share a lot of my own story with students, too, because, you know, they have assumptions of what we all have assumptions about what people's paths or what their stories have been. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm wondering from both of y'all, what are some ways that you think faculty, staff, um, and even students, um, like how can we support people through this time, knowing that like there is some depression or some uh, graduation blues 
like it's normal to feel that at this major transition in life. So it, it, like you're not alone. This is a very normal human thing to experience. But I'm wondering what are some ways that that um, folks, especially, you know, faculty and staff, like how can we support students through that time or leading up to it? Yeah, I think something that I've been thinking about, you know, when you are having a conversation and it's good, so you keep forgetting the idea you were going to bring up. Yeah, yeah, um, we have yeah. that all the time. Yeah, yeah, this idea has been in my head and you just made me like come back to it. And it's it's this realization you have when you get out and you really start looking around and you realize nobody ever has it figured out. Boom. Like everybody... <laughs> everybody in your life is doing their best guess. Like my mom and dad are still making their best guess about how to live their lives. They've learned some good resiliency skills through, like they know what how, they know how to pivot better than they did when they were 20, but they're guessing. And so I think, uh, Casey, I think it's powerful that in your classes, you talk about a path that wasn't what students might assume, right? Because then you're giving space for them to think of a script that has room for not knowing. And something I would try to make room for with my students who were graduating is to give space to them and be like, let's be honest, who's scared of what's next, right? Like, who's not sure about the job they just accepted? Those things are really powerful. So giving space for honesty, sometimes that begins by being honest about our own experience. Like if you're if you're in a group of friends and everybody's like bragging about their jobs with total confidence, I would encourage you to say, well, you know, I'm actually not sure. I don't know about you all, but I don't know. I've been feeling some anxiety. Are you feeling anxiety? And just watch what happens. There's something that happens in, in us as humans when someone snaps the facade and makes room for like anxiety and vulnerability and insecurity, like it's powerful. And that helps us connect and feel less alone and feel less anxious when we find out that, oh yeah, everybody's everybody's making their best guess right now. So I've been thinking about that, but that would be my answer. And, and faculty and staff look like you all have it figured out to students. So when you're like, yeah, not only did I not know, sometimes I still don't know, like that's really powerful. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Like I'm not filling up my whole gas tank at once right now mm. <laughs> either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. Um, especially a lot of my peers being there are right. Always thought I was like the most put together person ever. And that had it all figured out. Sure. I was constantly like, absolutely not. I'm, I'm winging this. This is absolutely me winging it. And I'm still winging it to this day. I'm going to be winging it at 50. That's adulthood. Winging it is adulthood. They don't tell you about that. When you're growing up. Um, I also think like really relying on your peers, like lean on your peers. They're going through this experience at the same time as you. So they really know how this feeling is. And like if, if you have a student who's working at Amazon, working at a, you know, just a regular minimum wage job and they're not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, mm -hmm. I would really tell them to lean into their networking skills. Um, some of the big ways to get a job is through people you know, through the peers and friendships you have made in college. See where your friends are getting jobs, right? They're getting nice, shiny jobs. Ask them, hey, are there more openings there? Lean on your faculty, lean on your staff for opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, and I think to be really present helps. We're always so caught up with, okay, what am I doing in six months, a year from now? Um, do I need to do a big move or not? 
day by day. I take things day by day, week by week. What does mm -hmm. this week look like? Um, and trying to solve some of the smaller things first, like, hey, I need to do this before I graduate. And then afterwards, I need to do these smaller things first. And then figure it out like that. Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty helpful. And giving yourself space to breathe, honestly. Right. I do think, you know, I've had students reach out to me um, after graduation, just like, hey, this is what I'm up to. Um, I'm working this actually, frankly, to someone who's like working a job, but um, they were like, you know, this doesn't line up with my values. I don't want to work here anymore. So do you know of any yeah, opportunities? Leave. Do you have any ideas? Um, and I was able to connect her and now she's on a different path. Um, but most of the time students are not reaching out like that. Um, and I think because they don't want to be a burden or they don't feel like it's important enough. So I would say that's really good advice. Reach out to people. Oh yeah, especially while you're in college. This is one of the very rare moments of your life where you're paying an institution to quote unquote teach you and like almost take care of you in a way, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're living on campus, you have access to resources, access to countless faculty and staff that are there to develop you, mentor you, and put you on the pipeline of success. Right. It helps to have those relationships before you leave. Yes. yes. Yeah. So you can carry them on afterwards, but like use them while they're there. Yes. Go to career office, your career office. Go to your counseling offices. Go to your staff's office hours. Ask them, how did you get this job? I need this job. What do I... Ask them these mm -hmm. questions while you're there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think I've been having a lot of conversations with other people about my age because we're pretty firmly millennials and millennials generally were raised with this idea of like, if you find the right job, it'll never feel like work. Oh, and yeah. Right. yeah. So I'm watching and I've personally gone through this disillusionment. So delusion and self-confidence can be really power empowering and helpful, but being disillusioned can also, it, it's disappointing and it's hard maybe at first, and there's a grief for how you viewed the world, but it's also led to a lot of my friends kind of like laugh or like, I don't need a job that like crosses every, um, like doesn't match my heart checkbox. I need a job that pays for me to have a good life and that lets me have time off so I can have it. Like I need a job that lets me live where I want to live and travel and be with my friends. And that's been a really empowering thing for a lot of us who were raised with this kind of like, right. If you love your job, your job will love you and your life will be a giant. Like, I think that's where my capitalistic disillusionment came in was right. like, oh, I loved my job and showed up and thought that that would always meet me warmly. But that didn't work. Oh, this is a job. Right. And I yes. need to understand that it's a mutually beneficial agreement. My labor helps the institution. The institution helps me by giving me money. That's the contract we're in. Uh, it's not true love. It's a it's a marriage that uh, <laughs> helps survive, right? Yeah. Um, so that's been a, another thing that I think, not to sound jaded on on the in the chat, but I think it could be helpful yes. for folks to. Yeah, there's a. Have you heard of the book "Work Won't Love You Back"? Work won't love you back. That is true. You got to be oh, careful, I, especially I in um, places. Be like, yeah, we're like a family here. I'm always a little weary when jobs say we have like a family atmosphere. We're like a family. You know, when you do what you love, you, you don't feel like work. 
that tells me we're overworking people here. It could people be. are staying yeah. too many hours. Um, people are staying at this job in their position too long. And maybe. like, are you going to be the black sheep in the family? Because maybe there is one. Yeah. Are they going to be guilt tripping you for mm. wanting to take vacation or sick time? Right. Yeah. When people love their job too much, they tend to be overworked at their job yeah. and then only see themselves as whatever job they're in and not the other aspects of their life. Right. And I also, you know, I do know a lot of folks who have jobs that are, you know, they're they're fair. Um, and they also like after their working hours, um, they don't think about work. They live their lives mm -hmm. and it's very highly like they feel respected in their workplace, but it's not their life's work passion uh, 24 hours a day on and that is a perfect way to be if if you find something that that is not doesn't have to be on your mind 24 hours a day this passion work um, where you because then there's a tendency to collapse your identity with your job too and that's a whole that's the thing you see in education it is teachers like, faculty yes. staff oh, yes. Your job becomes your identity, and you're mm -hmm. working outside your job, and you're thinking about your job and planning and answering emails at nine, ten o'clock. That's a different. That's a different yeah. podcast. It's a different podcast, but we'll get into that another day. <laughs> well, and I know, I know, we joked about like first year students, like, "What's your major?" Well, my major's this, but then in real life, at least in New York City, I feel like when I meet new people, I'm like a mixer of some kind. People try to be that way. Hey, on dates, what do you do? And it's like, uh, like now I have this job that that is like suicide prevention cons consultation work for higher ed institutions, and I can kind of say that quickly. But I've been working for my personal benefit and my relationship with work to ask people questions I think are more interesting and lead to better conversations, which are like, hey, what are you really passionate about? Mm -hmm. And uh, like, what makes you happy? Like, though, that's. And sometimes you can see people not be sure how to respond to that at first, right? Like, oh, I'm used to saying sales when someone asks me a first question. Right. Um, but it, it, it makes room for humanity. And also, I think for me, continues to keep at bay this idea that what I do for work is my worth and is my identity. Mm -hmm. Because if your job can let you go, I would argue that it is not a good foundation on which to build yourself. Mm -hmm. Like you need a self that is that same self with the same worth, regardless of your place of work. And so we need to start navigating our relationships with work, which is a lot to think about when you're about to graduate from college and you just want a job. So, you, right. But it's, it's like, be thinking about that self, nurture that self, that resilient kind of definition that doesn't need a context to be worthwhile to you that can be a really powerful break from some of that anxiety of expectation yes and i highly recommend getting a hobby um i've been <laughs> or two or two or five i've poor casey every week i feel like i call casey with a different hobby um, i love it I love yeah it. this week You're i've excited, been i'm excited <laughs> and he bless you casey because he will <laughs> listen to me like go on and on for hours i love it this month is fit. I take care of fish now. You know, I set up new fish tanks and I, I get plants and I'm breeding shrimp. 
you have no interest in aquariums. I don't. But you're listening to me. I'm interested in you. Yes, about this hobby I have now. Um, So it's really important to have a hobby and explore who you are. That can be exciting, I Mm -hmm. think, um, for folks to look into. Like, be excited for and look forward to is exploring yourself deeper after college. Yeah. Um, reflecting on all the experiences you had during college and how that has changed you as a person and how you will continue to change with age um, and be like hopeful, you know? Yeah. And I do, you know, Michael, thank you. We could keep talking to you literally all day. Yeah. I wish we were on a rooftop in New York right now. Oh, wow. Um, I hate heights. So do I. We'd be in the middle. Okay. Yeah. yeah there we tightly go. Tightly in the middle. Tightly in the middle. Yeah. We don't We've want heard enough stories. We heard enough about the rooftop yeah. in the middle of the rooftop. Yeah. <laughs> but really, aside from my, uh, you know, yeah, restoking a fear of heights, otherwise, um, I really do feel myself as someone who did not graduate recently, I actually do feel more hopeful after this um, conversation with you. So I hope that listeners, I'm sure, um, that you've given sort of you've broadened the lens um, and given some just through through storytelling um, some ways of thinking about um, about life and about transitions uh, in a way that is you know empowering and exciting and I truly I'm in a much better mood than I was earlier yeah from this conversation yeah well, well thank you thank, thank you both it's been so good to speak with you Jamil, go ahead. Um, I was going to say, I think we always like that after our podcast. We feel a little better afterwards. All this good, powerful reflecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I think, well, it's, you know, I just think that that we learn as people through conversation. Mm. And, and it feels, especially in these pandemic times, like it feels like a gift to have like a meaningful conversation with folks. And it feels like an additional gift to then be able to take that conversation and share it widely with yeah. other people. Yeah, so thanks for coming. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.